Well, a very warm welcome to Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations, a podcast hosted by me, Joshua B. Kirkman, where I meet and, well, uh, converse with special guests from the surfing world, both here in the Nordics and further abroad. We all know there are plenty of characters in surfing. Uh, There's uh, no lack of them. So this is our attempt at Nordic Surfers Magazine to get to know these characters better and share some of their stories with you, the listener. In our first of many episodes to come, uh, I had the very good pleasure to interview Dan Malloy. Um, And in this interview, I discussed with him his journey from being a young kid, passionate about surfing, chasing a competitive career, to being sponsored and living the professional life, and then working with Patagonia as they entered the surf market. The interview provides uh, quite a candid insight into Dan's views about the industry itself, surfing, his feelings about the life as a pro, and then his transition from being a professional surfer to being more of a worker slash surfer, and much, much more, including a, a really cool discussion about agriculture. It was recorded on a beautiful spring day in northern Scotland, uh, in between educationals on wetsuit production and fair trade certification. Uh, a nice little retreat put on by the guys at Patagonia, so that was really cool. And for me, as a long-time fan of Dan's, um, it was an absolute joy and, and a privilege to record. So I hope you enjoy it yourself. Let's go straight to the interview now. Um, we're here in beautiful Scotland. You've just come back from the surf, and it was okay? Uh, we watched Bindi. Oh, okay, we so watched, you didn't surf again, We watched did Belinda Bag surf. <laughs> I think it's going to be a little better this evening okay, and trying cool. to save energy. Good on ya. Before we get too into it, um, yeah. you have something you like breakfast? <laughs> Do I really? But it's not, it's not actually, I don't think it'll show up on that intro. <laughs> but I just figured... I'm keeping that in. Okay, okay. That's great. Sounds good. <laughs> That's great. Do I, do I have anything? I don't think it... I don't, it was like a piece of... Uh, <laughs> It was like croissant? a piece of a croissant. That's what it was. <laughs> well, that's great. My wife will kill me for having another one of those for breakfast. <laughs> we were speaking yesterday a bit about that, but I mean, how did you originally come to join Patagonia and what, what was the context for you at the time? Um, it, was, it was interesting because my brothers and I grew up just north, a few hours north of where the whole surf industry was, and mm. we grew up inland. And we, uh, we just were head over heels for surfing and wanted to be a big part of it. And so we took every opportunity we could to compete and, 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 and get sponsored and do that whole thing. And it was just a blast. But we didn't grow up in like a surf community. Yeah, right. And it's like, you know, pretty different from a lot of the communities in Southern California and like in Australia where surfing, like my dad surfed, but he wasn't like a surfer. And it wasn't yeah, like, okay. that's what you should do as a career or anything like that. But we were just, and we so we wanted to do even more yeah right so we dove head first into it and had a blast and had amazing opportunities to work with with bob hurley when he was was um running billabong in the united states for a long time and then when he decided to start his own brand he asked us to come along with him and and, and we, so we got to be a part of that which was just awesome and so much fun and at the same time we were growing up you know mm. like we grew up watching and looking at the surf magazine the surf videos and just just tearing those things apart and just loving every bit of it and but it became this like long form education of of how the industry works and yeah, how sure. advertising works and sure. all these things I, we didn't know that's yeah, what we were sure. learning but and so as we were growing up it was kind of like we we're just starting to become less and less in, interested in um in 
oh, we were kind of drinking a little less Kool-Aid of like, <laughs> what, what, what was it that we were actually doing? And what were, how, why were we getting paid? Was it because we surfed good or because yeah. we were contributing to um, this bigger machine that sells lots of t-shirts? Yeah, sure. And, um, and, and uh, you know, so we got to do a lot of great stuff, but you kind of start to become aware of the mechanisms at play and you're mm. like, you know, you you grow up. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, and you see the smoke kind of like is rising, <laughs> and you, you know, see how the the companies kind of run the magazines and all this stuff. And and so as we were growing up, we we um, we were lucky enough to have Patagonia was in our hometown. And even yeah. though it was like a, a climbing company, yeah, um, we when we were going on real trips to places like Ireland or my brother went to Antarctica uh, long before we we were part of Patagonia. And we would go, actually go to Patagonia to get real jackets because the surf oh, companies okay. didn't make yeah, them. Right. You know? So you went there to buy stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, and, cool. and we, we would cruise around and the early shop was a hardcore climbing shop. Yeah, so right. we used to go in there and it was really cool because they had, um, there was uh, gear for climbing and yeah. there was also this beautiful collection of books uh -huh. and photographs and, and, yeah, right. and you know, as a kid, you'd walk in there and you'd meet some weird freaking classic climbers. Yeah, right. And then you'd go over to the book section and read some shit that was life-changing, yeah. you know? And it was this really, so we always, Patagonia, we always respected the brand, didn't think they were really that interested in surfing and never, didn't know when that could possibly happen, but we're, we were interested in it. And, um, and then it just all happened really quick and, mm -hmm. and much before we thought that it could. We were, we were just becoming more and more disillusioned and not that interested in, in uh, in being a part of this bigger kind of marketing deal, mm. and Patagonia started kind of asking us, like what you know, almost for some advice. Yeah, okay. And and um, and so it was like the doors opened there to be a little bit involved in in the 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 actual transition from Hurley to Patagonia happened really fast because all of a sudden they were they were they were wanting to mm. become like part of the surf industry. Okay, and so we spoke about this yesterday a little bit, but like this this transition from Hurley, I mean, Hurley has gone on, I mean, how long ago was this? Four, you, 14 years ago. Okay, so 14 years ago, you and your brothers were quite well established with Hurley. Mm -hmm. Hurley was like ascendant at the time, you know, like things were getting good for Hurley. Yeah. Um, how hard, well, was it a difficult decision to make this leap or was the disillusionment enough to really it was enough. Kind of push out? It was difficult, like, yeah, okay. you know, monetarily and yeah, stuff sure. like that. Okay. It definitely took a, half the money yep. to, to, to work for Patagonia, but it wasn't, you know, there's those times in your life, it's yeah. just not, it's not actually hard. Like, it was so clear to me that yeah. I would be working with a bunch of people that were, you know, kind of like a, a lot of mentor type of people, yeah, whereas... Sure in the industry before that it was a lot of friends and yeah, you know sure. it was a good time and yeah. whatever but like this was like a chance to not only like put all that what we learned into play yeah. and like you <laughs> be able to be in a situation where everything we've learned in the surf industry we could apply it somewhere yeah. but also be around a bunch of people who weren't in it just to be a part of a good company, but yeah. had like some, some different motives. Yeah, had a well. mission to do some good work. And just really interesting, smart people who, who um, yeah, like, like I was saying, like kind of mentor type of people. So to me, it was like an absolute no-brainer. I didn't have, yeah. I didn't own a house and I wasn't married either. Yeah, so well, I was like, helps. I'll 
Fuck it, I'll take a pay cut. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I want to pick up on that though because you referred to it as going to work for Patagonia. Mm -hmm. Now, as I understand your career, before with Hurley, you were a sponsored rider who mm -hmm. would surf. Mm -hmm. You were a surfer. Mm -hmm. How, what was that transition like to go from being the, the sponsored rider to then going to becoming essentially, because I understand that maybe you guys were working on the wetsuit development in the beginning mm -hmm. of Patagonia. Mm -hmm. So how was that transition from free surfer yeah. to worker slash you know it wasn't that abrupt for for my brothers and i because we we always um you know we there was a part of us that was like you know it wasn't the way that we grew up and the way that we looked at surfing was like this really awesome thing that we were getting to do but like we always wanted to be working too okay and 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 <laughs> we were always involved even with hurley with a lot of creative decisions and, and stuff like that okay. so so for us you know and we were i was i think um so 14 years so i was 27 when it was happening and okay. i guess that's still like kind of in the in in the prime of of my career but like yeah i don't know i i've never i've never like hung that much weight like on I, to me it always just seemed like surfing was this really amazing thing but to spend all of my timing time doing yeah, that sure. just felt like this kind of weird selfish pursuit mm. and i wanted to be working and work collaborating with people and working on projects yeah and and um so it was really interesting to me uh to spend more time working and learning from people and you know there's plenty of time in the day yeah. when you're done surfing yeah like, sure. there's plenty of time sure, sure. so so that to me was part part that was interesting to me that was i i was glad to it wasn't like they were like you can come work for us if you show up at the office it was like at that time it was a fully blank canvas yeah right. and and what we did um was not necessarily asked like it wasn't specifically asked of us that you come in at these hours yeah it was like okay there's this amazing brand that really hasn't been able to tap the surfing world. Yeah. And we, it's, it's, fair, it's, it's on, yeah. let's do this. And so it took, you know, a good three years or four years of just nonstop powering and yeah. doing everything we could. And that was just fun. It was fun, you know. It was, was it always fun though? Because I mean, work has its challenges. And I guess sure. the thing I'd like to ask is, whilst obviously uh, you and your brothers were able to really kickstart that Patagonia um, presence in the surfing world, mm -hmm. obviously through the wetsuit development and mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in the beginning there? In the beginning, um, well, you know, internally there was things in the company yeah. where, you know, it was hard for some of the people at the company to um, see all this energy going into surf. Yeah. So you have a hardcore climbing company yeah. and all of a sudden a bunch of the money is going into the surf part of the brand. Yeah, sure. And, and, uh, so that was really hard for people at the company and definitely there were people that were like resistant to us yeah, sure. and the change that we were bringing. And sure. like, you know, there was, there was a surf brand called water girl that they were like, you have to turn this into something good. And we were like, no, we're not like, Okay. We're going to let that go completely. And they were like, no, no, we're done. You know, there was, there was major, okay. major grappling that was yeah. going on for sure. Um, but it was a really, uh, like when I say fun, like, I, you know, when you're making films, like, it's not all, it's a, it's an amazing, awesome project. And, and I'll say, yeah, it's fun. It's super hard. You oh, know, yeah. it's hard work. And totally. like, 
if it's not, if there's not something, if you're not grappling through certain issues, it's usually probably not going to be that interesting of a project, you yeah, know? Sure. So there was, there was a ton of big challenges and, um, coming out with a wetsuit that was, that was, that was good was really, I mean, and, and we were just giving a ton of feedback and yep. there was an amazing wetsuit designer for, for the first 10 years that I was there named Tetsuya Ohara, who was just unbelievable tech wetsuit guy. And he was just providing us with these amazing options. And we were kind of like, you know, he had the tech angle and we had the like practical, yeah. like, how do you, you know, not we as in my brothers and I, but the whole surf team that was contributing. Yeah. So. It was a, it was just a really fun time of development. There were some giant hurdles, but you know, it, it was it was just like a really dynamic time. It was it was fun. Okay, and so um, with this, so you've been now with Patagonia for what 14 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to get moving soon, but so you've been there for quite a while now. And and in the beginning, it was kind of you were still very much the the pro surfer slash worker mm -hmm. slash product developer mm -hmm. i guess it seems and designer probably bloody everything by mm -hmm. the sounds of things how um what's your kind of role there today how has it evolved over time now now i'm basically you know uh, just on the filmmaking team okay so uh over the years our jobs have gone kind of in a bunch of different directions and and the way things have panned out is that right now we're there's a there's a kind of like a film product in-house film production company now yep. that uh, a, a gal named Monica um, uh, McClure like has really helped gel like the work that my brothers and I have done and a few other filmmakers into basically a legitimate um, small production company within yeah, Patagonia cool. and we're yeah. all we're all filmmakers for the brand and then we're also still ambassadors for the brand yeah, sure. at large you know but but so that's that's the latest kind of iteration of our okay. jobs. How with this ambassador model, which is re it's really fascinating to me when I first heard about the way Patagonia has approached its riders and and kind of this idea that they're employees of the company, not necessarily this kind of free surfing. Mm -hmm. I like to call them models on a surfboard. You yeah, know, like and that's kind of what you're talking about. Some of the disillusionment came from. Is it how important is it for surfers to maybe understand that? working is a good thing <laughs> yeah, yeah you know like is there a problem in professional surfing well, now i do i think i think it's just a strange you know as i've gotten older and as i kind of look at you know what we're teaching kids and you know it's a it's a weird culture to mm. to um to kind of uh encourage kids to want tons of free stuff yeah and i think that that's you know gone into in this in this extreme athlete culture and all these things it's like being sponsored is like the ultimate mm. you know and i think that there's like just a giant disconnect there because what is it that you're actually bringing to your family and to your community through these acts yeah um you know it's like a little bit over the top and idealistic like but it's you know you're 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 you know part of this giant marketing mechanism and we've started to become totally okay with this model of sponsorship. And it's just a weird thing to teach kids. Like, mm. hey, um, you know, not not necessarily expecting something for nothing, because it's not nothing, yeah, sure. but it's it's just a weird, it's, it's a kind of a weird dynamic to, um, so I, I think there's something really neat about um, putting in your work, doing work and getting paid for that. Um, I think, you know, I do think you should also get paid for 
what you bring to the brand outside of the, the hours you sit in front of a computer too. Yeah, if, sure. if you do bring something substantial, they should recognize that yeah, and pay sure. you for it. Sure. But um, but I just think it's interesting to think about sponsorship in a in a in a in new light, and I've you know have lots of ideas on how to how to fix that, and I think sponsorship what are some in, of those in, ideas in, yeah. well in general i think that you know it's a it's a it's a strange if the leadership's not super solid at the company um the the uh, sponsorship model can be really is kind of broken because you start this relationship and things can be really unclear like unclear what your expectations are where a normal job the expectations if if They're done right clear. it's clear yeah. like this yeah, is true. what we pay you for this this and this and yeah and so in in the sponsorship athlete deal it's very unclear or it can be and it just um i just think you know i've i've often thought that it would be really cool to do shorter relationships more of like a grant system where yeah. you give an athlete uh, a, a specific short-term grant for a project or a film that they want to make yeah and it's very clear what the expectations yeah, are sure. they tell you, you you know they they present what they're doing and it's for this six months and you get to use that their image for one year and you know however it works out but like just shorter more finite much clearer conversation because over the years through all of my you know like from from professional surfing being with patagonia there's there's it's really clear to me that there's you know could be better communication on the on the ambassador sponsorship front yeah it just could be a lot better more, more clear see i think about it a lot more in terms of um the kind of cost the opportunity cost that a lot of these surfers and i mean i come from the bodyboarding world more so and i've seen more examples of this there and i was one of them to get uh quite treating the sport as this vehicle for my future financial success yeah and then demanding of it so much and then realistically not everyone can be the pro surfer that makes yeah. enough money to to get the ultimate prize and i really have worried a lot about the guys that kind of you know those guys on the qs they slave away for the year and they yeah. they're, they're really good surfers yeah but they don't quite get there and they get support from sponsors enough to give them a chance to crack it into the WSL, what it is called today, where they can have some financial success. But what happens to all those guys uh, after they fail, because mm -hmm. most of them will fail, yeah. is there, I guess the question leads to, is there an obligation for sponsors to think about the riders a bit um, more if they're going to give them this funding or is it just more up to the individual to figure it out i think it's up to the i think it's up to the individual like i you know i think that i think that we're all doomed if we wait around for companies and governments to fix our problems yeah like we're we're just totally fucked yeah and so um like to think that a company that's trying to sell a bunch of products gonna like turn the corner and and look out for you uh is i think just not you know, like that, that's a really, that's an easy out for all of us, Yeah. you know, and it's a, a really great way to become a victim and, and have excuses for everything in your life. Yeah. So I, I personally don't, you know, I look more down at companies who um, take somebody who's obviously got like major personal problems, but only, uh, only portrays them in a really positive light and kind of keeps, helps them sustain like whether it's their drug problems or whatever but as long as they're selling t-shirts they keep them going and in so there is a responsibility there you're saying i, I do i yeah. think i think that's unethical yeah 
Um, I don't think, you know, helping a guy do the QS that's not gonna like become successful in surfing in the end, I don't think that's, that's just up to the person, but yeah. I do think it's unethical when you know somebody is, uh, you know, really basically headed for, uh, you know, I've seen a few surfers over the years that are, you know, just have terrible, you know, problems, you know, yeah. wh whatever it might be. And the company has just totally got their blinders on because yeah. they're, they're unbelievable for advertising. Yeah, sure. And that, that's a bummer to me. Yeah. Um, but mostly I just think it's up to the individual to, to create the situation they, they, you know, that they, you know, because I, like I said, it's just like waiting for the top to fix your problems is just, it's just, that's a tough, that's a tough one, you know. Totally, but I've got to say, like, I mean, Patagonia is one of those companies that seems to actually care about people. Yeah. So I, is this just the outlier? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great when they do come around and I, I do, I think it's, it's a testament to Yvonne's vision. Yeah. And a testament to the people that have been drawn to Patagonia because of their, their, their goals and their mission. Um, a lot of those people aren't interested in business and uh, in the status quo. They're yeah. like, they're, they're disgruntled about business in general. Yeah, it's so and, ironic. And they're, they're at Patagonia to try to change that. Yeah. So, there's some, so there's some really neat things about Patagonia in that respect is that, you know, they're not, it's not, you know, it's a big company now, so there are a lot of like just conventional business people there yeah, now, sure. but it's also got a ton of people that, kind of can't believe they still work for a, a, a big company. <laughs> yeah, like sure. myself, I'm like, yeah. wow, you know, I never thought I could work for a, a big company for 14 years. Yeah. You know, it's been 14 years and I've been working for this one brand and, um, you know, it's a, it's a clothing brand. Mm. Like, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot of dedication to one brand, but they, 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 they keep it interesting enough and make decisions that are, that are, um, unconventional enough to keep me interested in, and kind of, uh, and kind of feeling like I, there's some part that I can play in that, so. So we've got to wrap up because we're keeping the crew waiting, but I want to try to finish off on kind of what, what can we expect from you and your role there in the next, you know, is there anything in well, the pipeline we can I mean, talk about the, or? The thing, yeah, the things that I'm really interested in, you know, I'm working more on the filmmaking side of things these yeah. days, but um, really what's interested me in, in you know, in environmentalism in general is, is uh, how, agriculture fits into the puzzle okay so uh my wife and i have a little small educational farm but we we've been really diving in deep on on trying to understand um how agriculture fits into this whole puzzle because it's a huge huge part of the environmental puzzle and the environmental crisis and and also an amazing um, opportunity to mm. turn the dial in the right direction and um, it's kind of been ignored uh and I also think it's a really, really uh, great place to find like a radical center. Like yep. the way that to, to, to practice um, well done agriculture is, you know, you can have people from every side of the political spectrum agreeing on, on yeah. certain things. And that's just something that people are not doing. It's like the, the divisive polarized narrative is so much more intriguing for the human mind. that People aren't even looking for the, the solutions that everybody can agree on. And I think there's a ton in agriculture. So between Patagonia provisions, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
you know, I don't work for that part of the company, but I hope to make some films for them. Ah, cool. um, the workwear line is really interesting because yeah. that's talking to the same pe people. Yep. And I also think workwear is, is really interesting, not like the fashionable workwear, but workwear uh, in its like original state is like the basis of all the clothes we wear. So yeah, it's sure. really interesting to me because it's like done right. It's not it's not fashion clothing. It's just the bare the basics of what you need durable basic clothing. Uh, so the workwear part of the line's really interested in. I, I've been working with the designers on workwear products for years. So mm -hmm. now that we have a workwear segment of the company, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, so I'm hoping to work on projects specifically for them. I did just did a commercial for the workwear line that, that came out pretty cool. And um, just staying, that's that's where my interest lies. To be to be honest, because I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not that intrigued by professional athletes anymore. Yeah, I'm just cool. not. And I, I just, you know, on a personal basis maybe, but I don't want to spend four months following some young surfer around and trying to make it seem interesting. <laughs> It's not interesting to me. It's just not. So what's really sorry, kids. Yeah, what's interesting to me now is um, is is it sounds so weird, but is agriculture. Like it's yeah. it's you know every single one of us. My favorite writer has a, a line. Um, he says that eating is an agricultural act. So in in many ways we are all intrinsically not many ways in every way possible we are yeah, all intri intrinsically connected to farming and farmers yet we know nothing about it yeah and so it's uh it's just really interesting to see where that where that whole that world is going to take us and, and um i think that there's just a ton of opportunity and to me it's like the exact opposite of fighting giant corporations and, and giant governments Agriculture gives this really positive, like these positive, you know, steps forward in, in, in some really neat solutions that are like not just environmental, they're like community, family, environmental, you know, social justice, whatever you want to call it. Like yeah. it's everything is wrapped up in one place yeah. and when it's done well. So Indeed. that's that's interesting to me. So it sounds like we're not going to see him surfing very much <laughs> in the next while. I mean, you still go surfing. Is there still a few oh, yeah. trips that you, you I know, mean, we're here surfing in Scotland I mean, yeah, and stuff. So we, we can expect to see you on a board every now and then. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still in love with surfing. Like, yeah. I, I still, surfing is just like this huge part of my life. But it's, it's almost like become more of what the healthy balance is, in my opinion, which yep. is like this thing that you do when you're done working. You know, and, and I don't mean just like sitting in an office, but like when you have your shit together, you, you know, or you need to blow off some steam, I go, you know, go, go surf, get a few waves and then get back to it. And that, that to me has been a really nice, healthy balance of, of yeah. surfing. I just, I, when I'm home, I have plenty of stuff to do. I jump in the water for a little while, get a few waves and sure. then get back to it. Yeah. There it is. We've got a duck inside to talk about fair trade uh, clothing, I think, or fair trade factories and whatnot. But thanks for stopping and having a little chat. It's yep. been a really good time um, hearing from you. I think the main message here is that, you know, we're more than the boards we ride. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so much more to what um, all of us can do, whether that's just the work we do. It may not be necessarily directly linked to the environment. It may well be just what your other passions are, but there is a balance there that can be struck. And I guess the message for some of the aspiring youngsters out there is that you don't have to walk the path of the ultra competitive sponsored surfer. Yeah. There are other ways to um, 
to make your mark in the sport and to build a career out of the sport as well you could say yeah yeah i think it's you know surfing has led me down a path that you know a lot of these opportunities would never have come to me if it wasn't for surfing yeah so it's been a, an amazing vehicle to to um meet people work hard and creatively and and just you know a chance to live an interesting fulfilling you know existence at times and uh and so surfing has been has been that vehicle so mm. i give it all the praise in the world yeah, like sure. i mean if it wasn't for that i'd be digging ditches yeah, you know sure, so sure. so uh so it's i'm not saying don't do it don't you know do it passionately uh and it can lead you in some really interesting places for sure well, there you have it. That was Dan Malloy dropping a few truth bombs about surfing and also providing his insights on agriculture and his evolving role with Patagonia. I enjoyed it quite a lot, and I hope you did too. To wrap up this first episode of Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations, we thought we would finish with a little musical treat for you all. Each episode, we're hoping to showcase an upcoming artist and give you some links on how to listen more if you're feeling it. For this episode, we start with a surfer from Varbe named Henrik N, who is on Spotify as The Black Cabin, with his track, A Few Years. But before we play the music and we say goodbye, or hey door, I hold in my hand something rather precious and I just want to share with you what it is. It is the Nordic Surfers Magazine, number 27. On the cover is a beautiful shot of Unstad Beach in Lofoten, left and right's peeling um this magazine is our latest one it's um available now on our shop which is nordicsurfersmag.ticktail.com we're going to chuck some links uh as well that you can just click on to go and check that out but inside this magazine there are some some there is some pretty good stuff we've got to say we've got to we've got to give ourselves a pat on the back here we talk a little bit about world surfing reserves that was a little piece written by me but the big piece in the middle here is definitely the interview with uh greg long the uh surfer gentleman and environmentalist that we all know and love the man charges and he's on a bit of a mission to um do his bit for the environment some really kind words there written by al mckinnon as well to support that interview We've even got a little bit of poetry um, in the magazine, which was a that's a that's something different. You don't get that every day. Um, so yeah, it's a great mag, full of great pictures and some good uh, interviews and whatnot. Uh, we're pretty happy about it, and we think you will too. So enough from us. Thanks for listening to this first episode of the podcast, and now enjoy the music.
Finally put my dad